We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. Hey, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Rotoviz College Football Show. It's your boy, Stefan LeCoe, joined by Matt Wispy and Jordan Hoover. Gentlemen, it is a pleasure as always to have you here. How are you guys doing? I'm as good as you'd expect me to be coming off an Ohio State loss. Yeah, well, you're so, here. That's I'm alive. Positive. Yeah, that's positive. <laughs> yeah, we're we're here to uh, we're here to provide positive feedback and uh, make sure that Matt stays in a in a solid, good frame of mind. Yeah, so I, I know we're gonna get into Ohio State, but uh, we got we got a bunch of other games to talk about too. So we had some pretty interesting results, and I think we're gonna check in on the Heisman as well. Which you know, talking before the show, I think we have some kind of interesting takes on that. Yeah, so... It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2, excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, romp bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. As we were prepping for the show, I I wrote down October 20th, the day 201 the Heisman. And I think just with what happened with Oregon, with Justin Herbert having a really unproductive first half and then a, even just kind of a just average performance again, it wasn't his first of the year. And then with Ohio State going down the way they did, I just felt like Tua is kind of one of the last guys standing and just, I mean, it's unbelievable to me. What do you think happens first guys that he takes a snap in the fourth quarter or he throws a pick his first pick of the year? I mean, that's uh, an excellent question. I, <laughs> I mean, it's I crazy think, that we have to have that conversation, right? I, I feel like, I feel like eventually he is going to throw an interception. I know that's a wild take, but, uh, you know, we were talking again before the show a little bit about how he might be tested a bit against LSU. Their defense looks pretty good. And there's, you know, there are still opportunities for us to see the mortal side. And I, I think I caught a little bit of the game, the uh, Alabama game this week. And I don't know, I'm pretty sure he's not 100% yet uh, with his knee injury. And the little chunks that I saw of that game, I did see him miss a few throws at, 
you know, pretty much open wide receivers overthrows that that we saw him nail almost automatically earlier in the year. And I don't know if that's still just getting, you know, him getting back, but it's pretty, it's damn near impossible to try and pick apart what he's done. But, you know, that's just anecdotally. I mean, he's setting in, he's setting efficiency records that will potentially never get caught. I thought that the like Baker Mayfield adjusted yards per attempt would never get caught at 12.9 because that was already like a full yard and a half or a full yard ahead of what had been the previous record. And he's at 16.9, which is now four full yards ahead of what Baker did last year. So he's on pace for something absurd. The, the reason I would say that he would likely have to throw a pick before he plays a fourth quarter is pretty much because if he's going to play in the fourth quarter, I think it's because he threw a pick um, and that managed to keep the game close. And I think I think Jordan's right on point. If if there is going to be a game, it's going to be LSU and it's going to be because their safety and their sec their safeties and just their secondary as a whole is, I mean, NFL caliber. So I would guess I don't like saying he's going to throw a pick or predicting it. But if there's if he's throwing a pick this year, it's probably in that game. Yeah. It's it's just a fun way of analyzing just how otherworldly he's been. Now, a question for both you guys. Uh, when he came into the national championship game last year and just kind of took over, I thought, like, man, he took, he took hold of the moment. He made best of an opportunity. What a great story. I did not, in my wildest dreams, imagine he would be this. I didn't expect this. I thought he'd be good, but... I was I, I still am surprised just at how efficient he is, uh, the playmaker he can be. Yeah, I, I've been surprised. What, what about you guys? Jordan, is this kind of what you had in mind, or has he surpassed what you thought would take place? I mean, I think he's definitely made exponential growth since we saw him in that game last year. And again, I, I kind of sound like a broken record, but I think it's a combination of his, his personal improvement improvement as well as Alabama's willingness to use his skills in the correct way and open up their playbook a little bit more and be more willing to throw the ball downfield. So I think it's kind of a combination of the two. But I, you know, I think I think if someone says that they predicted that he was going to throw 25 touchdowns and no interceptions, you know, through eight games, they're lying to you. So, True. you know, I, I think I think it's kind of a perfect storm. He's he's absolutely excellent. But I also think that if for whatever reason Nick Saban and the rest of the coaching staff remain stubborn enough to want to run the ball 40, 45 times and not take advantage of his skills, then we might not be having this conversation. So I think it's a kind of a mix of the two into what we're seeing, and Alabama is just an offensive juggernaut at this point. I mean, what we're seeing right now is is realistically like it needs to be in the conversation for greatest season ever done by a single college player. It's really that impressive. I mean – Tim Tebow has kind of always been like the one of the guys that you point at for the best season ever by a quarterback. I think it was 07 his year when he just destroyed everyone. But in those games, like he was playing the fourth quarter. He was in the game all the way up until the end having to make these plays. And what's crazy is that Tua's going to have numbers probably better than Tebow had that year. And he's not playing a full quarter. And in some of these games, he's not playing the second half at all. It's just what we're seeing right now is is genuinely the is special. And I'm going to be watching the rest of Alabama's games this year, even against Arkansas and Rice, just because there's a chance that this is the best season that we ever see from a college quarterback. Yeah, I think like two things, like just talking about how efficient he's been in just two quarters or three quarters. I think one of the craziest stat lines that I've seen in my life was the game earlier this month against Arkansas, where he only threw 13 pass. He went 10 for 13 for 334 yards. Just unreal. Unbelievable. Uh, but the other question I have for you guys is the dude's only a sophomore. He's coming back next year. Is he going to be even better next year? Or is that just impossible to even imagine? I mean, I, I think seeing the growth he made from a freshman to a sophomore, nothing's impossible. And I just misspoke there saying he was playing Rice in Arkansas. You're right. He already played Arkansas this year. I was on the wrong team. But, I mean, what we're seeing, I, I just, it's, nothing seems like, it seems like there isn't a ceiling. In the same way that, like, 
and Pat Mahomes is tearing up the NFL right now, and we're just kind of saying, like, what is this guy's potential? Right. I think you have to sit here and say, like, is this even his potential? Because some of it, like, I think that Jerry Judy's a respectable wide receiver, and I think he's very good. I think Jalen Waddell, their freshman wide receiver, could be even better. And they've got a lot of this talent, and every year they bring in more five-star players. It's it's not insane to think that that skill group is going to improve next year, and he might be like just even better and even more efficient than he is right now. Yeah, it's a it's a scary thought. And they're gonna and and like you said, Judy will likely be back. Henry Ruggs will likely be back. Devonta Smith will likely be back. Irv Smith, the tight end, might be back. So, you know, I mean, it, obviously the bar, what we're watch, what we're seeing right now, the bar is incredibly high. But if you want to project or if you're trying to find a way to project him to improve next, it's, you know, the skill group will likely be very much the same. There will be a little bit of turnover at running back. But as far as passing game options, we, you know, there might not be that much change. And I don't really see any reason for the coaching staff to want to do anything different especially if they continue to roll and, and ultimately win the national title, you know, that's, that's one way that we could potentially see further improvement. Yeah. Now, when we, when we were talking about this earlier, we mentioned that there is one potential dark horse candidate remaining in Kyler Murray. Explain to me what would have to take place, if anything could, that could bolster him into a realistic competitor for for the Heisman well I think um ultimately I think Oklahoma would have to well first of all he would obviously have to keep a similar pace to what we're seeing and which by the way is worth mentioning on its own you know if if Tua is not doing what he's doing for whatever reason Kyler Murray is the guy that we're talking about right now because like Matt said he he mentioned Tua's adjusted yards per attempt on a similar on a very similar amount of attempts uh, Kyler Murray is averaging 14.7 adjusted yards per attempt, which is otherworldly on its own. He's also thrown for 25 touchdowns, just like Tua. He does have three interceptions, which, again, in relative terms, that is an amazing touchdown-interception ratio. He's completed 72% of his throws, more than Tua. He's run the ball for almost 400 yards more than Tua. So, you know, it's it's really difficult for, for me to see an avenue where if Tua stays healthy, plays the rest of the games, Alabama wins the national title, you know, or gets even just gets to the playoff by the time the Heisman Trophy voting takes place, Tua will probably win. But I do want to mention Kyler Murray because it is really amazing what he's been doing so far this year. And again, if, if for whatever reason Tua wasn't doing this, Kyler Murray would be the guy that we were talking about. I think if that te- uh, the Texas Tech game left on their schedule, if that turns into like the classic like 70 to 65 kind of game where a quarterback throws for like 600 yards, that could be the type of game that puts him up there if uh, Tua does struggle against the LSU secondary. If he actually starts to look human against uh, a team and maybe they take a loss at LSU – if he can go out there and have one of those games that even if it's against a bad defense, you're talking about like one of those huge number games, it's something that could just put him back in the spotlight. Absolutely. I had a question about that. Do you think that there's anything to the fact that Kyler Murray's had to play in more competitive games and try to like scratch out some of these tough wins? And now also they lost one of those games, but do you think there's something to having to play in those type of environments that might give Kyler Murray a little bit of an edge? Or or do you think that Alabama's dominance is more of an asset to Tua rather than something that could keep him keep him back? I think if Tua's numbers weren't otherworldly, if they were just if they were equal to or even slightly worse than Kyler Murray's, I think you could make the case that Alabama's dominance is actually hindering hindering him as a whole as a as a Heisman candidate. But if when you're just thinking of it this way, part of the reason they're so dominant is because their offense just it kills them immediately. It runs them off the field and their defense is good enough to immediately just squash any hopes of them scoring. So, yeah, I mean, I think if the if the numbers start to come back down to earth and his efficiency comes back down to earth, then maybe Kyler Murray jumps up into the conversation because he's going to have these tough fought wins against a an Oklahoma state and a West Virginia on his record, then 
there might be something to that, but it would take Tua coming back down to earth. Yeah. Great. Well, let's let's get into some of last week's games. I like to start off with the most painful one personally, just to get out of the way. I can move on. I can have my morning period, and and all will be right in the world. Oregon went into Pullman and lost twenty to thirty four. Washington State, man, did you guys catch much of this game? I was on an airplane. I just landed. First thing I did was pull up the game, and I was stuck on the tarmac for like thirty minutes. So I was just sitting there watching on my phone for a while, and. Booby Williams, the running back for Washington State, his touchdown that he scored was just the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. He took it outside. He got bunched up by like four different guys, somehow spins out of it and just waltzes into the end zone. And at that moment, I realized that it was going to be a game (laughs) and I got super nervous. I mean, Washington State's crowd was pretty fired up. I I mean, it's been repeatedly said they were pretty excited about having game day in town because it was the first time game day had ever been there. They're a legit team. I know that everyone was starting to come around to the thought that Oregon might be the best team actually in the Pac-12 after this past week, but Washington State's real, and that crowd was real fired up, so... I didn't catch much of this game because I lost power for about 24 hours this weekend. So I haven't, I missed some of the night slate, but yeah, from what I can see, uh, Washington state was real impressive. I actually really like, uh, Max Borgie. I think he's going to be really interesting for the next year or so. Yeah. I, I think that Gardner Minshew is a, is a perfect fit for, for Leach's offense coming from East Carolina. And, you know, I, with all the buildup to this game, with with game day there, with the story about Old Crimson, the flag, with the stories of area liquor stores being sold out and dispensaries running out of weed, you know, like it's it, it kind of felt like it was a bit of a narrative that that Oregon was really going to have an uphill climb and, and the game opened up that way. And even though they fought back nor- uh, towards the end and Herbert kind of came around a bit, it was just too much momentum, I think. And and not to take anything away from Washington State because they are a good team, and I think we're going to get to them a little bit later for their game this week. But, yeah, I mean, the the Pac-12 North is pretty wide open, I think, between Washington, Washington State, and potentially Stanford, depending on what happens this week. I'm sorry for your loss. Sorry for the Ducks' loss, but... It was, you know, I didn't, I didn't see a ton of this game, but the, the, you know, I saw the beginning and how they opened up, and it was just a really impressive showing for Washington State for a good portion of this game. I say, and I'd feel a lot sorrier for you, or, or I would feel a lot worse for you, almost any other week. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> I, I will say, I uh, when I saw Ohio State down, well, first, I, Ohio State and Oregon were playing at the same time, and I would have bet absolutely any amount of money that at least one of them would come back and win it. I thought for sure one of them, if not both of them, would come back and win it. I believed Oregon was going to get back into the game. Um, but seeing Ohio State lose, I was like, well, at least I won't just be the butt of all the jokes during the show on on Monday. So that's good. But watching this game, I was really frustrated in the first half. Oregon was unable to establish any sort of rhythm in this game. Washington State did a tremendous job just messing with with any attempts they had at trying to get going on offense. The fact that you end the game and between Verdell and Die, you only have 15 rushes, that's a real problem. Everyone, I think, knows that like Oregon is a fast-paced offense, but they still like to do, even though they've had great quarterbacks with Herbert, of course, Mariota, um, they love doing it with the running game. They love running the football, and they just couldn't establish anything, and it was really frustrating. I did think they were going to come back and win the game. They ended up losing by two scores, but they were down seven, and Washington State was going for it on fourth down at right around midfield. I think it was at like the 45. They hadn't even crossed midfield. They ended up converting two fourth downs that drive, got the big touchdown to go up by two scores, and then that's when I realized that it was over for, for my Ducks. And yeah, great win for them. It was really disappointing coming off that big game um, against Washington. I think if this game was played at Austin, we have a different story, of course. I still think Oregon is the best team uh, in the Pac-12, but I don't think it's going to matter. They they haven't done it on the field, and they're not going to to be in the Pac-12 championship game, and they have no one to blame but 
But their center, I still will blame it on him for that big loss against Stanford. But <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, it was it was really disappointing game. Like you guys said, Washington State deserves all the credit in the world. But man, Oregon had an opportunity late. I mean, they were down twenty seven nothing. They scored twenty in a row to get back into it, and they were just it was close. But yeah, they just couldn't pull it out. But yeah, I really thought either them or Ohio State would win. When when Ohio State Purdue was twenty one six twenty one six. I thought I was like, man, I think I think Ohio State can still come back. And uh, if you would have told me they were going to end the game with twenty nine points, I would have been like, see, I told you. But they just couldn't stop Purdue. Matt, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what happened this game? Ohio State's your team, so why don't you lead the way? Ohio State at Purdue, losing twenty nine to forty. Um. So. And please don't read the I'm show notes for this because uh, I don't know if we're allowed to use some of those words. <laughs> <laughs> I used one major expletive, and I put a lot of extra U's in it, so that should just give a guess of what it says. Um, but my biggest takeaway from this is Ohio State's red zone offense has been a problem for the last few games. We've been having really no issues getting down into the red zone against most of these teams. No, Matt, do you think that it's because Haskins isn't as mo- he he's not the type of runner that like JT Barrett was. Do you think they just have trouble generating running plays in the red zone? What well, do you I think, think that is? I think there's a couple of things. I think JT Barrett, the one underrated thing that he did was when they did the run pass option play, it really did help the running game a ton because he would hold on to the ball until the very last second. It would really make it would never let a linebacker pull the trigger t- too soon. Right. So play, they would have to be making these plays on the fly a lot quicker. Um, and unfortunately, Urban Meyer's kind of stubborn right now, and he's very stick to his guns. I'm going to just use Dwayne Haskins in the red zone. I'm not going to get creative in here and bring in Tate Martell at all. And you do. You're seeing the fact that their running game just isn't getting the same push uh, on the offensive line that you'd expect. They're not getting consistent yardage at a uh, J.K. Dobbins. I think last year he was like an eight-yard per carry guy. Now he's down to four yards per carry, which is, when you look at his running style, that's just absurd. And when they're down in the red zone, they don't have any faith in their running game, so then it comes down to trying to pass in this very congested area and they've come away with so many field goals and it's so frustrating as an Ohio state fan. And it does, it makes you miss JT Barrett in this weird way. You're thinking I have this potentially the best quarterback from a throwing perspective that we've ever seen. I mean, he just set the single game record for yards and I think he also set it for completions, but the, I mean, when we get down to the red zone, it doesn't matter. This isn't, there's no threat of the run down there that they're just dropping seven, eight guys back into coverage, and it's making it really difficult for the receivers to get open. And guys like Austin Mack and Benjamin Victor, who they thought were going to be these red zone monsters, just they don't, they're not as sure handed as we thought. And now there's real problems. So overall they just got exploited for what their problems are their secondary is a mess it's not what it's been for the last few years i think the fact that we've had nick bosa and we've had this consistent defensive line has been able to help out our secondary and make them look better and now without cover up cover up some of those deficiencies by getting to the quarterback quickly right so now since they're being exploited by these guys like tyler johnson did it a few weeks ago um rondale moore Oh my God, he just tore apart the defense. When they do these just little underneath routes, the secondary doesn't have any response. And for as good as Greg Schiano used to be at these second half adjustments, I mean, ever since the Penn State game, they really haven't been adjusting in the second half. And there really haven't been these, the defense hasn't locked down at all. So it's, I mean, my takeaway overall from big picture is that Yes, this is unfortunate. Yes, it's not a good look to get blown out by Purdue. I saw someone say this was why we the getting blown out is why against Iowa is why we missed out on the playoff. We missed out on the playoff last year because we had two losses. If Ohio State wins out, they're going to have wins over top five um, Penn State at the time. They're going to have wins against a top five Michigan, a win against a top 25 Michigan State, a win against a probably still top 25 um, Wisconsin, Wisconsin or Iowa. They're yep. going, 
they're going to end up getting into the playoff based on the resume if they go undefeated and if they uh, win the Big Ten title. They just may need to against Nebraska if that game's close for even five minutes then they'll start to be like real concerns that is their resume impressive enough. And now for the first time this year, they're actually by Bill Conley's S and P plus projected to lose that game against Michigan. So, I mean, there's real concerns coming off the game, but I think the biggest takeaway for me, big picture wise is this sucks, but nothing changed. They just need to get it, get their act together. I would love to have a 20 minute conversation about who would deserve to get in uh, a one loss big 12 champion or, or a one-loss Big Ten champion. We might have to save that for uh, for next week. I will say you mentioned Rondale Moore. I love any football player that is shorter than me. <laughs> like I'm five eight, and anyone out there shorter than me balling out like that is a beautiful thing to watch. Uh, Jordan, did, what did you think of Purdue? I mean, you you touched on Rondale Moore, and he's obviously no longer a secret across the country, but. Like you said, he's shorter than you, but uh, Duke can also squat like 600 pounds. So I, I don't know, man. I, I think he's. I think he might be the most exciting player in the country. I, I know that's difficult, kind of to narrow down, given how many teams there are. But it just it just feels like when he has the ball in open space, you know, literally anything can happen. And 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 being just a freshman, being so young, still having so much time to grow as a route runner, become better at his craft. The ceiling just feels incredibly high with Rondell Moore. And I think we also need to give a little bit of credit to David Blau, who he he only completed 58% of his throws, but he, you know, you could say that he outplayed Dwayne Haskins. He threw three touchdowns, had no interceptions, averaged over 10 adjusted yards per attempt, threw for almost 400 yards. And, you know, kind of what to, to Matt's point, when he was talking about the big plays given up, Ohio State ranks 124th in the country in in stopping big plays on defense, according to S&P Plus. So, I mean, it, Purdue did exactly what they needed to do. They ran the ball, which was which was a nice thing to see with DJ Knox. He averaged eight yards a carry, had three touchdowns, including the dagger at the end. It was just a, a really good win for Purdue, and I think that you know, ripping off four four wins in a row, starting 0 and three. I don't know how much we talked about it back at the time, but I really thought that Purdue kind of got the short end of the sticks starting out 0-3. I, you know, they're not necessarily a national contender in any way, but I think that they are a good football team, and we're starting to see kind of the growth and the and the you know the upward projection for them. So, you know, whoever they have on the rest of their schedule, their opponents better watch out. Do not take them lightly because they will bite you. Yeah. Bill Conley has them favored against Michigan State for next week. Hell yeah. Oh, I I, I like that. I, I think yeah. that makes a lot of sense. I mean, their coach, has Jeff Brom, has done a great job with that team. I mean, talk about the growth that we've seen take place from the beginning of the season to now. Uh, they're, they've got to be in the list with most improved teams over the course of the season so far. Let's let's move into NC State at Clemson. We talked a couple weeks ago about how this could be a really fun, exciting, interesting game. And I guess from one perspective it was, but not from the uh, perspective of close, interesting. Uh, but we, I think we learned a lot about Clemson um, on Saturday, winning 41-7. to Now, they were at home, which I think made a huge difference. But I think this might be a combination of NC State maybe not being as good as we maybe thought or hoped and Clemson kind of proving that, yeah, 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 we're still here. We're going to be the biggest contender outside of Alabama for the national championship. What did you guys think? I thought, um, you know, I, th- I thought that Trevor Lawrence looked pretty good. He seems to be back from his injury that kind of, he, he was dinged up earlier a couple games ago. He, he looked really good. I thought, and I think that, you know, Clemson was able to do this despite Travis Etienne only rushing for 39 yards on 15 carries. He did score three touchdowns, but, you know, NC State did a good job bottling up Clemson on the ground, which really put a lot, I think, on Trevor Lawrence to kind of excel in the face of that. And, you know, also Clemson's defense, which, you know, coming into the season, we knew would be probably their strength, especially the defensive front. And, you know, Ryan Finley who a lot of people think is an NFL quarterback. I'm still kind of on the fence, but I, I think he has a good chance to to be drafted and, you know, potentially go forward from there. But he he had a passer rating of 
five, which was his second worst showing in the last 21 games. And Clemson clamped down on Kelvin Harmon, who I love. He only had two catches for 13 yards. So just, just all around, man, Clemson just looked real good. Uh, the passing game starting to click with the young guys they have outside, along with um, T. Higgins. And, you know, it just looks good. And if, if they can do this with without being able to run the ball, you know, against teams where Etienne does get loose, you know, the ceiling is really high. I was I was just really impressed by what Clemson did. Yeah, if you would have shown me Etienne's line minus the three touchdowns, but 15 for 39 with his longest run being for six yards, I would have been pretty sure that NC State covered. But exactly. that, that wasn't yeah. the case. Like you said, Lawrence really, really looked good. I think the takeaway from this is, Every week that Trevor Lawrence plays and every week that he gets a week of practice, he's going to prove why we all thought he was special. And, I mean, NC State was no joke. I, we didn't really know what they were because their schedule had been kind of a cake schedule. But, I mean, they weren't a joke team, and Clemson handled them. I, I was so in on uh, NC State covering in this game, I was very close to, like, just tweeting out all these reasons why, even though it was the square bet, I was totally in on NC State. Oh, man, I'm really glad that one didn't go public that day, that morning, because I've had a <laughs> yeah. lot of bad bad picks so far this year, and technically that one wasn't on the record. So I, I'm really excited for this Clemson team. I'm excited to see what they're doing. They're finally using the wide receivers that I think they should be using. I think when T. Higgins is their number one option, they're better. And I think Justin Ross is the one guy uh, outside of – or there's two guys that can make take away the – claim for most exciting player from Rondale Moore. Uh, one of them is Justin Ross on Clemson. The other one was LaVisca Chenault uh, at Colorado. But those, I, I think when T Higgins and Justin Ross are your two top wide receivers and it's not h- wasting attempts to hunt a Renfro, this team's going to be really hard to stop. Yeah. And, and speaking of hard to stop, when you look at the remaining schedule, they don't play a top 25 team uh, currently. I mean, they're at Florida state, and then you got Louisville, at Boston College, Duke, South Carolina. I don't see, I don't see a loss there for them. I I think they'll cruise nicely into the playoff, and and be feeling pretty confident. Like you said, Trevor Lawrence gaining confidence, gaining yeah, gaining just a rapport with his receivers. He's looking sharp. If he can stay healthy, they can keep the running backs going. I think they're gonna be, I think they're gonna be looking really good come playoff time. Agreed. One of the one of the teams that I still don't really know what to do with is, is the Michigan Wolverines. Their defense, I think we all know, is just unbelievable, otherworldly, fantastic. Not enough good things to say about them. Um, but on offense, they still do seem to struggle. Now it's interesting on Donovan People Jones's long touchdown reception. He matched Michigan State's passing output for the entire day. I think Michigan State ended the game with fewer than 100 total offensive yards. They were only able to score after recovering a fumble inside the five-yard line, and then they did a little end-around reverse pass to the quarterback, Lewerke, who who scored it, and that was it. <laughs> that was literally it. And there, I thought Michigan State's defense played really tough. Uh, when it was 7-7, they kept getting... Big tackles. They got a couple of turnovers. They were really doing all they could. But at the end, Michigan State's offense just looked completely helpless out there against Michigan. I think that uh, the idea that Michigan is a is suddenly a good offense with Shea Patterson is still slightly overstated. Um, I, I honestly think their offense goes when Karan Higdon, when he goes, the offense goes. So when he's going to be productive for them, I think is when they're going to be at their best, which is kind of strange to say in a passing, moving world. I I do think Donovan Peoples-Jones is amazing. I, he's the one wide receiver on their team that scares me, other than uh, if Tariq Black actually comes back healthy. Um, I know he was warming up before last game, and they said he was getting close, so... He also scares me a little bit. The one take, my one takeaway from uh, Michigan State's offense is pretty much, your guys remember when Brian Lewerke was seen as like a potential NFL prospect? Uh, <laughs> that was funny. Uh, he was five of twenty-five in this game. 
I know Michigan State or Michigan's defense is amazing. He was five of 25 on offense. Felton Davis still does exist. He could probably catch more than five passes. Their offense is bad. Like, I know that they moved the ball on Penn State pretty well. I know Michigan's defense is awesome, but I don't get, I don't know what happened here. Their Michigan State did not show up to play football in their rivalry game. Yeah. And just, just to add on real quick on your Brian Lorkey take, uh, five of 25 passing. I took the time today to look that up because it was so ridiculous to my eyes. And since 2000, according to sports reference, he was just the third quarterback to complete five or fewer passes on 25 or more attempts, just three since 2000. One was Logan Thomas, who you guys probably remember from Virginia Tech, who switched to tight end. And the third is a name that I cannot remember at this time, but he is no one of note. Yeah. So, I mean, just to put a little bit of historical context on just how inefficient work he was, you know, that that's just wild. To me. Yeah. And it's crazy, too, to think that a couple of those passes, like half of those completions were just little dink passes to the running backs, <laughs> you know, like right. oh, yeah. unbelievable. It was it was pretty tough to watch. I am a, a closet Spartans fan, uh, mainly when it comes to basketball. I'm a huge Spartans fan. and I'll be vocal about that. But I that that's kind of bled over to football and and they've been fun to watch these last you know for the most part the last decade they've been competitive and fun, but man they just got bullied, uh, and it was it was it was tough to watch uh, especially someone who is hoping to see Michigan lose because I don't really want them in the playoff because I don't enjoy their brand of football right now um, conversation for another day I'm sure but yeah they looked. They looked like they they weren't going to let Michigan State beat them. If they were going to lose that game, it was going to be because of some horrendous error, which they almost did at one point. I was actually waiting for that game to be close, so then the announcers would spend like 30 minutes talking about how Michigan State got fired up by the line, by Michigan's linebacker disgracing their logo, <laughs> right. but they just never... like. It was funny hearing them talk about it because they were trying to find any reason to like give Michigan State hope they were like you know when it's not raining Michigan State really looks like they've got a chance in this or when it is raining Michigan State looks like they have a chance in this game to muddy it up I was like no they don't they look terrible on every play (laughs) yeah the best thing about it I think was the uh, two very serious old men like uh, Harbaugh and Antonio beefing like uh uh, teens on Instagram after the game talking about each other, <laughs> yeah. talking trash on each other. Honestly, you know, to me, that was the best part about this whole entire experience was just seeing those two very serious men take it very serious, the disrespect. So, yeah, yes. that was pretty gold. That was that was gold <laughs> right there for sure. The last game we're going to talk about from last week was Oklahoma at TCU. Oklahoma t- taking care of business, 52 to 27. I, I was at the airport, I was in D.C. watching this game, and I just kept hoping, because I had a long layover, I just kept hoping that TCU would just make it close, that it'd be entertaining. And it was entertaining watching Oklahoma just look unbelievable on offense. I had a, I really enjoyed watching them run the football over and over again, and just unable to be stopped. A few weeks ago, I said I thought Kennedy Brooks was going to have a breakout game. That was when they played against Texas. And I I called it maybe a few weeks early, but but he seems to be the one taking over as the lead back in Oklahoma. And I think he looks the part. He is a dynamic running back who adds a new wrinkle to this offense. We all know Kyler Murray is unbelievable. But with Kennedy Brooks there, I think they have that, that dual threat to their offense where you can't just spy Kyler Murray and, and hope for the best. I was pleased to see Oklahoma win, if for no other reason than it keeps the Big 12 super interesting. I mean, Texas-Oklahoma, too, has the if that happens, is going to be all kinds of fun. And yeah, that's my takeaway. I didn't watch yeah. a ton of this game. I Oklahoma's wide receivers, C.D. Lamb and Marquise Brown, are pretty much unfair, but... Yeah, the fact that they're running game, the fact that they're not uh, leaning on Trey Sermon with their running game makes me happy because I think he's overrated. But otherwise, I didn't see enough to make big takes about this game. It was nice to see TCU uh, try a different quarterback for a little bit. And uh, yeah, 
I thought this game would be good. It was not good. I'm not happy of both of you taking Trey Sermon's name in vain. I think he's actually pretty good at football. But oh, we can. I want him to be can, a thing so badly, if for no other reason than his name is Sermon and he needs to be playing on Sundays, just like Priest Holmes. I mean, come on there now. There you it's, go. It's just too good for headlines. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he's actually pretty good, but he, I'm pretty sure he got hurt in this game. I think it was a knee injury, but... If if they have those two healthy moving forward, it, it only helps Oklahoma to be able to sub rotate those two guys, and that's after losing Rodney Anderson. Right. So I mean, if you think about what the, what the 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 trio that they would have had, it's it's pretty incredible. And just one thing I wanted to say about TCU, a, a guy that I really like is Jalen Rager, and it's just it's such a bummer to see him with a one for thirty one and a touchdown stat line. Like I know that I know that it was a, it's a difficult situation right there with their uh, right now with their quarterbacks, uh, Michael Collins coming in probably not really prepared to to play necessarily. And Sean he Robinson looked just, he looked overwhelmed. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's probably to be expected. But man, like Jalen Rager really is a special type of athlete, and I think that again, like kind of piling onto that most exciting player in the country. Like if he was utilized correctly, I think that he's in that in that kind of tier as well. I, I really do think he's that dynamic, and I'm I'm just hoping you know TCU, their season is pretty much bust now, but I I really you know just selfishly I want to see him get more opportunity because I think he is good enough to to um yeah I just think he's very I just think he's really talented I think he deserves more opportunity. Oh, whoops. I didn't see Sean Robinson was actually injured in the game. I thought they benched him. Yep, now I feel like a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, no, I I didn't I, I didn't actually see him get injured in the game. And I was wondering, because there was no sound on, because I was at like a bar at, at the airport. And I just couldn't fathom why they stuck with Michael Collins. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, he just, yeah, he did look overwhelmed and... His interception was just just unfathomable. Guys, we all love watching football, and it's super fun, even when you're just watching for entertainment purposes. But when you throw a little money into it, it becomes oh so sweet. You've heard me talking about this for weeks, and some of you guys are still on the sidelines, but whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should all be betting at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot by playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay. Pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you can turn 100 bucks into $600. There's so much to bet on right now. I mean, guys, is this not the best time of the year? We've got hockey starting up. We've got playoff baseball. NFL's in full swing. College football is getting closer, closer and closer to the playoff. I mean, this is the best time of year for sports. And, my, and at my bookie, you can bet on all of it. So you need to go, you need to go there and do it. You can really trust these guys. My bookie has been in the business for years. They've got great online reviews and they're super easy to use. If you're still on the sideline, now is the time to jump in. My bookie will still match your first deposit dollar for dollar, but you gotta join now because they'll be pulling that offer soon. So log on to my bookie right now. That's M Y B O O K I E and use their promo code RotoViz and you'll get your first deposit matched at 100%. That's promo code RotoViz. You play, you win you get paid. Guys, let's look forward to week nine. We've got one of my favorite, I mean, it's just a great game if for no other reason than it's the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. This game has been been played since like 1904. Beautiful rivalry game. The two teams, Georgia and Florida, have split the last eight games, each winning four. Georgia is favored by seven. How do you think this ends up turning out I, i'm sort of torn on this game I, I i do think georgia's better um but i've been kind of rolling with the idea of i think if a team is a true live dog that i'm gonna roll with them and i i i wouldn't be shocked if florida won this game outright i mean the game's in jacksonville stadium not there it's not in the swamp from what i'm gathering so i'm going kind of against my uh hearts and i'm gonna take florida here with uh the hopes that their defense can give um jake Fromm troubles and that maybe 
they have to jump to Justin Fields mid-game in hope of creating a spark. So, yeah, if Georgia wins, I don't think they're going to run away with it because I think Florida's defense is too good. Yeah, what do you think, Jordan? Yeah, so I did a little bit of digging on CFB Analytics' website, and they have Florida ranked second in opponent-adjusted defense. So that speaks to your point, Matt, that you just made. And going back, you know, I know that the game, the Georgia-LSU game was in Death Valley night game, really tough spot for Georgia, but they did end up losing by 20 points. And another metric that I like to look at is points per possession and then doing plus minus. So how many points a team scores per possession and how many points per possession they give up. And Florida is actually better than LSU in that metric by slight margin, but slightly better as far as points per possession efficiency. Like Matt said, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if Georgia wins this, but I do think that it probably stays under the seven points. I'm also going to go with Florida. Um, I could see this being a three or four point game. And in that case, you know, I, I think that Florida will be able to hang around and potentially win outright. So I, I guess I'm pretty much in line with Matt there. Yeah, I think you guys stole my notes. I have pretty much the same thought process going into it. I think if this game was played a few weeks ago, I'd be all in on Georgia and it wouldn't be close. And I'd actually be shocked the line was where it was. But right now, having seen Florida improve so much throughout the year, Georgia having had a, a tough go at, at times lately, I think seven points is enough for me to want to go with, with Florida. I think if it was three and a half, I'd probably go Georgia. But at seven, give me Florida. I just think it's going to be too much for... It's just too big of a number for a defense that's as dominant as Florida is. It will be interesting if if Georgia is able to move the football and score some points. It'll be interesting to see Florida try to keep up. I don't think they... They can really do that. They're not really built for that. So it'll be interesting to see what takes place. Um, let's move on to Iowa at Penn State. Five and a half points. This, to me, is a super interesting game. I think we all expected Penn State to be really good this year. Iowa's been a little bit better than I was anticipating for sure. That being said, it's at Penn State. I think Penn State will be able to, to win it. I think they win by a touchdown. Therefore, I'm going to go with the Nittany Lions. I'm actually, it's funny because I didn't realize how good Iowa had actually been this year until I was paying attention. I just went through the games and I was like, Iowa's ranked? Totally missed that one. I'm sort of torn on this game because it's another one where if Iowa did something crazy and won the game, I wouldn't be floored. It's at Penn State. I think Penn State's still a top 10 team talent-wise. I think the line probably will move as the week moves on because no one likes to bet on uh, Iowa. If you can get it right now at five and a half, take Penn State and hope they would just win it by 10. Oh, man, this one's gross. Uh, Go against your heart. I'll be honest, man. Like I am really worried about Penn State's interior defense. I don't know how much you guys saw of last week's game against Indiana. But there were points in that game where they were just getting mauled on the inside by Indiana. Like, I know Indiana is a decent team, but, I mean, I feel like they should not be getting gashed. They've given up 170 yards per game on the ground, 224 last week. I think that their front seven's an issue. Um, Iowa averages 166 rushing yards per game. They run on 59% of their plays, so I think we know kind of how Iowa will attack Penn State. They're going to try and make this a fight in a phone booth like they always do. I think that Hawkinson and Fant are a really dynamic tight end duo, maybe one of the best in the country, and I think they pre- present an interesting uh, matchup problem for Penn State over the middle of the field. Uh, Juwan Johnson, I saw, is questionable. If he can't play, that pretty much leaves K.J. Hamler as the only real consistent threat at wide receiver. And I'm a little bit worried about Penn State's offense, to do be honest. It. <laughs> I, I, It's stacking up, man. Like. <laughs> Again, I I would not I I don't bet Penn State games with actual money, uh, just as a point of you know just just a rule. Yeah, but I, I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna take the points with Iowa here. You know I I obviously I don't want that to be the outcome, but it just kind of feels like Penn State the the weaknesses may be starting to show. I, I think that they kind of got lucky last week against Indiana to win that game. 
And I and I also think that, you know, thinking back to this game last year, just really quickly, you know, Penn State obviously won at the end. Um, they needed a couple just godly plays from Saquon Barkley. I know that that game was at Iowa, but I still think that the loss of Saquon Barkley is starting to show a bit just because of what he could do. So sorry for being long-winded. Unfortunately, I'm going to take the points uh, with Iowa here. No, I think that's I mean, good. He did have like he had like 300 all-purpose yards in that game, if I recall correctly. So. That's what I'm saying, man. Like yeah. without him, that you know that Penn State doesn't win that game flat out. Period. And Kinnick at night. Hey. I agreed. I agreed. And and this is a different this is a different animal. But you know, I I just think that there could be some matchup problems here, and I'm just worried about that interior defense for 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 the Nittany Lions, to be quite honest. No, that's... I think my actual bet would be taking whatever the under comes out at. Yeah. If the under's anywhere near fifty, take the under. Yeah. Hey boys, not a bad look. This is not a joke. Uh, I have to go wipe my son's butt. I'll be right back. So, <laughs> give me two minutes. I'm back. In fairness, in fairness, he didn't need help wiping his butt because I thought that was weird. There was no more toilet paper, and all the toilet paper was in the basement. <laughs> so he was like, "Dad." <laughs> so. Anyway, all right, the next game, Washington State is traveling to Stanford, spread of three and a half. How do, you, how do you think this one goes, Jordan? So I think that this, you know, looking at it on paper, I think this sets up as a letdown spot for Washington State for obvious reasons, coming off a really big home win, uh, national spotlight on them last week against Oregon, now traveling to Stanford. But I just, I'm a believer. I, I, I can't really get off the feeling that this is real and that now they're getting points three and a half um, on my sheet against Stanford when, you know, the North is there for the taking. And I, I, I don't think that they're going to be looking ahead. They have Cal, Colorado, and Arizona, the next three, Washington State, that is. And they know that they can win the North if they keep playing the way they're playing. Um, Bryce Love uh, is listed as questionable. Um, he hasn't had, a you know, obviously up to his standards uh, season so far, but he is still their best running back, and without him, things really go downhill quickly. Uh, Stanford has been better throwing the ball, but I think Washington State's defense is pretty good, um, and they're scoring 1.4 points per possession, plus minus. Stanford is all the way down at 0.35. Uh, the metrics, to me, point towards Washington State here uh, to win outright, and and getting a field goal and uh, getting three and a half points, uh, I'm going to take it. Yeah, I think I'm with you because... If you told me that this line was Washington State having to give three and a half points, I would be very torn. I th and that's when I first looked at the line, I didn't even like, I just misread it. I don't know why I'm really supposed to be that impressed by a win over Arizona State. Like, I know that Arizona State isn't the laughing stock we all called them to be, but I mean, Stanford had, I, I mean, realistically, Stanford should be. Come, should have gone into that game off of three straight losses. I'm sorry to bring up that bad memory, but uh, they, I mean, they should have been going in there with losses against Oregon, Notre Dame and Utah. And then they go out there and don't handle an Arizona state team. That's okay. So, I mean, I think Washington state should be the favorite here. I think they should have probably been a three point favorite and you give me points. I'm I'll take them. I think they're going to win the game on the field. Yeah, you guys bring up some really good points. I think the fact that... I think one of the reasons Washington State looked really good, I don't think Oregon was ready for that style of offense. They hadn't, I mean, they play a similar style, but they hadn't really been um, up against it, spreading the field, air raid style, you know, going, taking your running backs out wide, all that kind of nonsense. Stanford has seen it before. They were able to adjust, and like you said, like they, they did beat Oregon... And they do things differently, but they both like to spread the field. Um, so I think Stanford is better suited to handle Washington State offense. That being said, you guys bring up some really good points. I think Stanford is a little overrated. I think they're playing... I think I think the reason they're favored in this game is A, they're at home, and B, they've been really good at home for the last few years. So I think... And Washington State is kind of a up-and-down team. So I think a lot of the reason for the points isn't necessarily what they predict is going to happen as much as how Vegas predicts people to bet. So I think that might be some of the reason for why the line is where it is. But like you said, if you just look at 
the teams, if you look at what's taken place over the last few weeks, you would expect Washington State to win this game, and I'm with you guys. So we are a clean sweep on that one. This next one might be a little bit more interesting. Be curious to see how we pick this. Texas A&M is traveling to Mississippi State. Mississippi State favored by three. Matt, why don't you tell us your thoughts on this one first? I still really do like this Mississippi State team. I like Joe Moorhead as a coach, and I, I don't know. I don't think Nick Fitzgerald's still a bad football player. <laughs> I don't think the LSU loss means that much because I start thinking that LSU is actually real again. I'm really torn on this game because I think if it comes down to Nick Fitzgerald having to do good things, I don't think he can do good things. I also just saw a uh, an update right before we started that Kylan Hill is now listed as day-to-day. I, I want to pick Mississippi State so bad, but the fact that I have to give points to do it, I'm just going to take Texas A&M. Yeah, I think... Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's that's good analysis. I, I, I agree with you about Nick Fitzgerald. I think he's basically a glorified running back. The fact that they have essentially no passing game really, really, really limits their effectiveness. We've talked about it on the show before about Joe Moorhead's offense. What it what it kind of needs to really work at full speed is that downfield threat, and they just do not have it right now, point blank period. They don't. And going back to uh, CFB Analytics, uh, Texas A&M, is actually ranked, they have them ranked first in opponent-adjusted defense. So, you know, I think, and like you said, Kylan Hill, who, in my opinion, is their best player on offense, and I don't really think it's close, um, being questionable. If he's out, I, I really like Texas A&M even more. Um, I think this is a low-scoring game. I have no idea what the over-under is, but it, it I, I just don't really see a ton of points being scored here. And I'm, I'm going to roll with Texas A&M. I'm going to take the three. I know I'm taking all road teams, and this is not usually good. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I just think that um, Mississippi State is just limited on what they can do on offense. And if Hill is out, I'm, I'm really worried about them being able to move the ball. Yeah, I think that's really fair. I, I agree about the quarterback position as well. However, this being a home game, I, I think I'm going to roll with Mississippi State. I don't have a lot of reason for it. I, I have a question for you guys. Kind of, we don't usually talk about uh, specific players' outlook for the future during this portion of the show. But I was looking at uh, Travion's stats for the year, and I was surprised. Like he's got 798 rushing yards. Like he's having a good statistical year. But I felt really underwhelmed by him so far this season. Am I missing something? Or yeah, I just feel like he hasn't really shown up like I thought he was going to. I mean, he's still below the ideally what you're hoping for, for like a true NFL prospect is six yards per carry, because if you can't average six yards per carry at this level, and then how are you going to become explosive when you get to the NFL? It, it, it is weird. I, I, I expected a little bit more. I think part of it is that their offense is just really not trying. I mean, I, I think they're just relying on defense. They've also had realistically a fairly tough schedule to this point. I mean, yeah. it's hard to criticize them for having game with games against Clemson, Alabama's defenses. And then also, I mean, Kentucky's a really quality defense in there as well. So I am pretty disappointed. In him. It's weird that he's probably not the best NFL prospects on his team anymore. I think that's slowly going over to Jace Sternberger is probably the best prospect on the team, but you love your tight yeah, ends. He's, <laughs> he might be playing the best of anyone in college football. Ah, I like it. All right, let's finish it up. Well, we'll have a bonus round, but before we get to the bonus round, Texas at Oklahoma state, Texas favored by three on the road. You sticking with your, your road theme here, Jordan. Ugh. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually think I'm going to swing the other way and I'm going to take I'm going to take the points with Oklahoma State at home. This one, this is probably the one I feel least confident of the entire bunch, to be quite honest. There's the Tom Herman as a favorite. Uh, we talked about historical uh, against the spread data last episode or the one before. Tom Herman's uh, splits as coach are really dramatic. He's 11-13-2 as a favorite against the spread, 1-3 this year. Um, Texas, you know, the, the opening line was one and a half, which is, is kind of interesting. I think one thing to keep an eye on is Sam Ellinger. 
Uh, he, I read today that he was limited in practice, uh, on track to play, but he's still kind of on like a pitch count in practice. So that's not that encouraging. If, if he's not able to play, they go to Michelle, who statistically speaking, they're fairly similar, but I have to imagine that dropping, you know, changing quarterbacks, even though he'll be getting extra reps, it, it might affect Texas's offense a bit. I think Texas has been a little bit lucky uh, winning some of their games, both teams coming off a bye. And for what it's worth, S&P Plus actually want, likes Oklahoma State to win the game outright by almost a touchdown. Really? So, yeah. So again, S&P this plus is way low on Texas. I, we'll get into that when it's my turn. Yeah, yeah. And that's and and that you know just throwing that out just as a tiny nugget. But um, again, home game at night, um, tough spot, you know. But I'll I'll take the points. But again, I this is this is pretty low on the confidence level here. All right, Matt, give us your give us your nuggets. That, so, sounds, that sounds so gross. I mean, <laughs> 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 oh goodness. So yeah, we've got. I, I mean, like I said, he said S and P Plus has them actually as a projected margin of losing by six point eight points to this Oklahoma State team, which is sort of crazy when you consider that Texas is a fringe top ten team and Oklahoma State is. Are they even ranked at this point? I, I don't think they are. Um, so it's kind of crazy to think that he would have them as a dog. He really does not like them. He actually still has them as a. Th- the 38th ranked team overall. So that's kind of to explain that he has them as underdogs in their next three games. I I want to roll with him and just say Texas is overrated because I crushed him so much early in the year. And for the sake of Ohio state, it would be a lot of fun if they lost, because then you may get a two loss big 12 champion, which would be beneficial. But I mean, I have to think they win on the field and if they win on the field, I, I, I like them to cover cover the three points. Yeah, so Oklahoma State has lost three of their last four, I believe. I'm with you on this one, Matt. I'm, I'm going to pull Texas here. I just think their wide receivers are, are difference makers. I think they're going to be able to exploit Oklahoma State's secondary. I think they're going to have some big, some big games uh, through the air. Yeah, I find it difficult to imagine a world in which a team that was able to beat Oklahoma would then lose to Oklahoma State. But then again, all things are possible. And the fact that Matt and I are on one side and Jordan is on the other means that Oklahoma State is definitely going to win this game. Um, Because that's just how it's been in the past on this show. But uh, Jordan, you you have a bonus round for us. Go ahead. Take it away. Yeah, just real quickly. I I saw an interesting uh, tweet from Jason Kirk over at SB Nation. He's tweeted before about the service academies and their record against the spread as big underdogs. Um, specifically, Air Force, Army, and Navy are a combined 36-11-1 against the spread as underdogs of more than three touchdowns. And wouldn't you know it, they're 22.5-point dogs against Notre Dame, and I believe it's on a neutral field. So, you know, if you're playing just that system since 1995 straight up, you would have beaten Vegas 76.5% of the time. This is purely a systems play. I don't have a ton of other analysis to go with it, but that is just an incredible number and just something to keep in mind as we look forward to Saturday. And since Jordan since Jordan gave a bonus, I feel like I need to give a bonus as well. Um, and I'm also going to take a service academy because service academies are fun. Uh, I saw the I'm finding an over under line on the Air Force Boise State game at a 57 and a half uh, Air Force on the year is five and two on the unders. And out of principle, I always take uh, I, I like I like service academy unders. Take the under that line will move down. Boys, this is just we're, we're begging for some Edwin Star war. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing <laughs> except for helping you make money while betting with my bookie. I like it, gentlemen. Good job, guys. Perfect way to close it up. Absolutely. It's going to be a great weekend. I'm super excited to actually be able to watch from the comfort of my home and not from stupid airports and tarmacs and all that nonsense. It's going to be fun. Any uh, Anything we should be looking for, guys? Any crazy predictions? 
Nah, man, I'm I'm gonna avoid watching the Iowa Penn State game. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, just uh, the Florida Georgia game should be pretty interesting. It, it might it might be ugly, and if you don't like that kind of football, you might want to look away. But I think that we could have some intriguing storylines after that game is over. And I'm gonna predict boldly air quotes boldly that an undefeated South Florida team is going to take a road loss. It's not bold. They're seven point underdogs, but they're going to take their first loss of the year. And that's going to be all kinds of not good for the American conference. And they're playing Houston. Uh, my little random one. I wouldn't be surprised if Northwestern beats Wisconsin or Western's at home. I think that could be a really interesting game. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Have a great day week and enjoy the slate on Saturday. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Validate 29 to 92 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 92 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.